of Flames Talk this hour underway on Monday, May 8th. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media coming at you from our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios, our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios, and we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new week begins, and it has now been exactly one week since Daryl Sutter was fired by the Flames. And I know, first of all, hi, Wes. Hey, buddy. No golf today, hey? No, but a little less frantic than last Monday. Yeah, that's last Monday. There was a lot to talk about. Not like there's not today. It's just less on a platter for us. Yeah, it was last Monday. Um, I know there's been frustration in some circles that, you know, the players mutinied on Daryl Sutter and they pushed him out and that this was a group of whiny, entitled prima donnas who came together and couldn't handle playing for a coach, and so they're too soft, and they pushed him out. I know there are some people who believe that. There is a, a certain section of Flames fans who believe that, and that, you know, play, you're paid millions, so you should play for whoever the coach is, and if you got a hard coach, you should suck it up and deal with it. Like, I, I understand that sentiment exists. You've you've picked up on that on, on different mediums as well have you not I have um, certainly seen some coverage of these young lads not understanding the value of hard work yeah not seen that not necessarily from people I've seen around the rink a whole ton but it's been out there and listen everyone's entitled to their opinion yes but as you said the you know the mutiny storyline I would say has been overblown absolutely the Feedback from players had a lot to do with, of course with the decision that was ultimately made. But if you think that we're talking about a parade of 25 guys who walked into their exit meetings and said, I'm not here in the fall if Daryl Sutter is still the coach, that's not how it went down. Well, and that's it's, it's why I've pushed back a little or a lot on that narrative of the whiny entitled group of millionaire hockey players who couldn't deal with an old school coach and you know they're they're too soft for society like i push back on that in a big way because a that's not the case this was an organizational untenable situation where the vast majority of that locker room did not want to come to work because of the negativity, because of the atmosphere, because that dark cloud that we've talked about was so suffocating. And if your working situation is no good, does not matter if you are making minimum wage or you are one of the highest paid human beings on the planet like NHLers are, it's, it, it, it still is a situation where it's not going to be as fun and thus you're not going to be as effective if you absolutely despise coming to work and your boss or the person that impacts you the most is somebody that you believe is affecting you detrimentally, which many inside the locker room believed. Yeah. I I think it's 
And it wasn't just players. It was other coaches. It was support staff. This was not just a player's thing. This is not just a bunch of entitled millionaires with silver spoons in their mouths who couldn't deal with a hard coach. There was a common denominator here, and that common denominator was was Daryl Sutter, and it was time to move on. So I'm going to give you a little bit more ammo on the whole thing in just a second, but is that that's pretty much we're on the same page and have been since last Monday yeah. when the Flames made this decision. I, right? I think the the greatest defense of the players in this sense, and obviously of, of the Flames players, is the way that they performed down the stretch of the season. I think if this group of players quit on Daryl Sutter, this would be a much different conversation. If if these guys looked on a nightly basis like they were trying to get Daryl Sutter fired and at the end of the season the coach was gone, I'd have a problem with that. I, I would have a problem if it looked like the entire group yes. checked out. I, I really would. And I know there were some duds in there. There was a loss to Chicago that that can't happen. There was an embarrassing result in Los Angeles. But for the most part, down the stretch, I thought the Flames performed a lot closer to the way you expected them to this season. It, it turned out to be too little too late. And so I think that is the biggest defense of them. This, to me, and I said it earlier, and I'll repeat it again because I think it's important. This was not a bunch of guys saying it's us or him. This is this was not, we're, we won't be here if Daryl's here. I, I think back to Monday when, when Don Maloney was asked, well, did the players force your hand? And he was adamant. No, no, no. They didn't force our hand, but you have to listen to them. Yes. And, and that's yeah. absolutely right. This was a case of Don Maloney sat in those exit meetings. And then, to, to my understanding, he individually reached out afterwards to players to follow up on exactly what he'd heard or maybe what he hadn't heard. And he came to the conclusion that this team couldn't move forward with the type of coach that they had, that that Daryl Sutter and his methods and, and the way he pushes buttons and the way he leads, it wasn't working for this group. And I think he made the only decision that he had left to him. But, you know, I think in all of this, and maybe I'm partially responsible because I wrote about the role that players had in in the ultimate decision, this was not Daryl Sutter being run out of town by the players. I, I think they've almost been painted with a brush as in this was everyone conspiring to yeah. get Daryl fired. And and my understanding, and obviously it's hard without, you know, being a fly on the wall of a bunch of those meetings, but my understanding is that's just not the way it went down. Yeah. I've talked to uh, a few people off the record and just, there were plenty of like, the the conversations were not, were not there in, as you said, like this wasn't the the whole idea that Alan Walsh and Jonathan Huberdeau led some sort of you know clandestine middle of the night takedown on Daryl Sutter and and stormed the castle in under under the shroud of darkness is not true. A lot of these guys were asked very very pointed questions in their exit meetings and. The answers the answers ranged all over the place. There were plenty of guys who were neutral and said, "Yeah, you know, like uh, it was fine for me, but I saw this and I saw that." 
And it was a lot of coming to conclusions and piecing puzzle pieces together as opposed to, you know, two players all of a sudden, well, I'm making $10.5 million next year, so it's him or me, and and that's what this came down to. And I'm not even suggesting there wasn't one or two him or me situations or I'm not interested in coming back at the end of my contract situations. I'm not suggesting that didn't exist. All I'm saying is that I don't think that's why the decision was eventually made because if it's just one or two guys, then I think that you have a little bit of a different decision on your hands. But when you're also talking about assistant coaches who all don't have contracts beyond this year and there's some decision making that needs to go on there and you listen to them and you listen to support staff they talked about the mental skills coach and the players this was this was more than just one area this was more than just one tax bracket and that's why we're talking about one week later where we are and the flames needing a new coach on top of a new general manager it isn't it buddy like isn't it the flip side of the sword of the way Daryl coaches. I think if, if he was sitting here today, he'd tell us that, you know, he, the, the way he goes about his business, he likes to keep guys uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mind and certainly doesn't hesitate to call guys out in front of their peers. He has tactics that are demanding or old school or whatever you want to call it. I think if Daryl was sitting here with us today and we haven't heard from him, and I don't think we ever will, I think he'd tell you that, as Don Maloney put it, that has a shelf life with a group. When you coach like that, you don't expect to be the coach of a team forever. Now, this is a unique situation in a guy who's got a contract extension that hasn't even started when he's handed his walking papers, but this is what happens at the end of the shelf life for a coach like this. And Daryl knows it. And so I think the end of that shelf life maybe snuck up on a lot of people involved. Certainly when the Calgary Flames signed Daryl to a two-year contract extension back in fall, they didn't expect that they'd be looking for a new coach this summer. Yep. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people who didn't see it souring the way it did. But once it did, I don't think they had much choice. And and I just want to add one more thing. Yeah. And, and it goes to what you're talking about. I know that it's easy to sit here and you've got Jonathan Huberto making $6 million this past season and about to make 10.5. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, I, you know, I swing a hammer for a living. He should come try doing real you know, doing real labor and we don't complain about it. When you're looking around at 31 other workplaces around the NHL, that's what you're comparing. That that's your workplace. And the coach is part of what sets a workplace. The, The rink is part of it. The weather is part of it. The fan base is part of it. The pressure and some guys crave it and some don't. There's all sorts of stuff that goes into what that workplace setting is like. The coach is part of it. And, and I think it's it's important to understand that you're not saying if if this guy doesn't want to play in Calgary anymore, he's going to have to go get a nine-to-five job like the rest of us. He's comparing it to other For sure. workplaces in the NHL. And so I, I think that... I think we should have seen this coming in the sense of there's been a lot of criticism of the player. And 
Before that, there was a lot of criticism of Daryl. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but I, I think the players are probably getting an unfair rap for exactly how this played out. Well, again, and, and I want to play this clip. So this was uh, Mackenzie Weger. This is on the uh, Missing Curfew podcast. It's with uh, former Flame Shane O'Brien, um, former, uh, former, um, former Flame, former Bob Hartley, John Tortorella moderator Shane O'Brien, uh, and Scotty Upshaw. This is Mackenzie Weger, who was on the podcast earlier and luckily edited. I went and did some selective can, editing. Can I just appreciate something for yeah. a second? The irony of two of the quotes that we've chatted the most about in the past week being presented to Bob Hartley and Shane O'Brien know, is eh? incredible. It really it's is. absolutely incredible. I'm sorry to interrupt. Huberto en français goes in and... Uh, Barry's Daryl on the uh, BPM Sports Podcast a week ago, and then this from Mackenzie Weger. And again, listen, this this is this is a guy that I don't think has been lumped in with the mutineers. Like this is not. We've talked about Huberto. We've talked about Kadri. There's been a lot of talk about Lindholm, maybe even Backlund and others. But this is uh, this was Mackenzie Weger again. This courtesy of the Missing Curfew Podcast. Personally, uh, you know, I'll be the first one to say it is that I thought we, we, we also needed a coaching change. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what happens in the future here. Yeah. Did he have, did he have any whipping boys? Like who is, I was a whipping boy for a few guys. Like did, did he, uh, did he have his guys or, or could he like, could he like lean on you? Would he like chirp you to make an impression? And you just know, like, you know what? I'll just, I'll, I'll take it today. But like, how, how was his message? <laughs> How was his message message getting across to some guys? Would he whip the same yeah. guys, or would he go around and maybe hit like a like a you know a veteran like yourself with yeah. something? I would I would say um, Backlund. Uh, he would get it pretty good, but Backlund uh, he'd fight back for sure. He would have uh, you know a couple of matches, and um, you know it's always good to talk about those after the game and, and laugh about it, but. Um, Backlund for sure. I think you know Daryl. I believe drafted him. Uh, he's coached him for a long, long time. They obviously have a, a different relationship that, you know, nobody can speak about. It's just them two. And, um, you know, good for Backlund and, you know, good for Dale. You know, sometimes that gave us a spark. Um, you know, I think everybody's gotten to a little altercation with Daryl uh, <laughs> once in their lifetime. But, um, you know, sometimes it was needed. You know, I think, you know, sometimes he pushed those buttons that were that were needed to be pushed. And, um you know, those, you know, like I said, after the game, they were always kind of, you know, fun to look back on. So that was Mackenzie Weger with Shane O'Brien and Scotty Upshaw. You'll have to show me, by the way, where the beeper button is here. Oh, the yeah. amount of times I listened to that just to make sure that I didn't <laughs> miss anything. You did nice work there. Um, look, there's Mackenzie Weger right off the hop. He says, personally, I think we needed to make a coaching change. And there's a guy. And that, I believe, because uh, yeah. I think this is important. I believe that was recorded just after the coaching change yes, within a day or two. Yes. And so there, I think there was some rawness there as well. I just thought it was a really, really good conversation that uh, he had there. Now, Mackenzie was on with the boys on the big show from Budapest uh, earlier on Monday. That's part of, I believe, the Hour 2 podcast uh, on the big show with Maddie and George from earlier on Monday. And I don't think that it was his intention to bury Daryl because he said some good things about Daryl afterwards. And, and said, like, on, on Monday morning, said some good things about Sutter with the guys. In fact, I, I've got the clip for you right here. This was uh, 
This was Uyghur when he was asked about Daryl on the big show on Monday. And here's, this is why, and this is a really good example of why you can respect your coach, think that he did a lot of good things, and also think that it was time to make a change. And I think hearing what you just heard from McKenzie on curfew and now hearing what you hear from him right now on the big show, I don't know, it just drove it home even more that they probably did need to make a change. My home, my, my interactions were all good. Um, you know, I didn't have a problem with Daryl at all. Um, you know, I still think he's a great coach and, um, you know, I'm sure if he, you know, wanted to find a job somewhere else, a, a team would, would love to have him. But, um, you know, I think just, you know, how the season, you know, went about and, um, you know, we didn't obviously play our best hockey, but um, now you see around the league, you know, the coaches are on pretty short leashes and, um, you know, every team wants to win and they want to win now. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had to see him go and, um, you know, I hope that he finds a place to go and, um, you know, I hope Chris finds another great fan base because, um, yeah. you know, he'll be missed <laughs> a lot too. So, um, you know, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say about Daryl. I think he's a great guy. So felt like there needed to be a coaching change and yet didn't have any problems with them at all. And that, that to me is a, a really good reminder that multiple things can be true at the same time. That, you know what? I didn't have any problems with the guy, but we needed to have a new coach. He said something in there that really cuts to the heart of this debate for me, and that's that coaches around the league have a short shelf life now. And the reason for that is how difficult it is to make other changes how difficult it is in the salary cap era to change the core of your team. And so when you're looking for a reason that a season went off the rails and let, let's be really clear that Daryl Sutter was not the only reason and, and not even on a short list of reasons that this season went off the rails in Calgary. There were, you can point the finger in so many different directions. And we need, you probably need six or seven hands, but like who, who are the Flames free agents this year? Trevor Lewis, right? Is whether Trevor Lewis is here or back in a, and no disrespect to Trevor Lewis, is, is here or gone Trevor Lewis going to change the franchise? No. Milan Lucic, no. Troy Stetcher, no. Michael Stone, think the world of the guy. Is he changing the course of your franchise? No. You've got unrestricted free agents who are going to come and go. Those are going to be small changes. You don't have any money to spend cap wise. It's so hard to make a trade. You might try to make one, but it's so hard to make a trade that how are you going to impact change after a season that has gone as poorly as this one did? Well, you don't have many options. And one of them became the head coach. And as it so happened, there were a lot of people who made it sound like changing the head coach might just do a whole lot of good. And at that point, it probably seemed like a pretty easy decision for Don Maloney. I think the hardest part of this was probably getting permission to have a guy making over $8 million to not coach. And we heard Elliot Friedman, and, and if something happens in hockey, Elliot Friedman knows about it. And we heard him hint that he thought even Daryl might have He said it again Monday. He said suggested. it again on the, on yeah. the very latest 32 it, it might thoughts. Be, it might be time. He brought it up. He brought it up when talking about Gerard Gallant and talking about how the Gallant situation played out very similarly to the Sutter situation where they heard players in exit meetings and they'd already been thinking about this and they heard players in exit meetings and felt like, okay, it was time to make a change. And he said, 
much like Daryl in Calgary, who after getting the lay of the land, realized that this probably wasn't fixable and understood this had to happen. Same was true with Gerard Gallant. That was like hours ago as we're talking right now on the latest 32 Thoughts. Right. And so as Mackenzie Weger said, suddenly the shelf life is pretty short for a coach because that's the guy that you can change. Yep. You can't fire a player. You can try to trade them. You can put them on waivers and see if there's any takers. You can do several different things like that, but you can't fire a player. Yep. So if you want to impact change, and again, I if you just tuned in, I can't stress this enough. This season, no one is saying this season is all on Daryl Sutter, but the Calgary Flames were trying to impact change, and there's not a whole lot of ways to go about it. And that was one of the common denominators that they could change. Yeah. And not a guy who didn't deserve any blame for the way the season went. And, and let's not even... We're focused so much on what's happening behind the scenes, and, and I get it. that That's the part that's most fascinating. That's the part that's most scintillating. There were some personnel decisions that were at Daryl Sutter's feet that you could criticize. Tactically, right? he made way more head-scratching decisions this year that did not hit one year after, rightfully and justifiably so, winning the Jack Adams, where it felt like for months on end, every button he pushed right. would get the right result. And it felt like it went the other way this year. So Daryl Sutter's teams are notoriously prepared. If you if you go through his 30 years of coaching and ask about Daryl, they'll talk about, it's probably more than 30, they'll talk about preparation, right? Well, the, the this team wasn't always prepared. This team was a team that had a habit of giving up early goals. This team had some first periods that you just thought, oh my goodness, do they, they know the game started. Now, that's on players too, but that's something that you expect out of your head coach is to have them ready to go. Daryl Sutter's teams have always been defensively stingy. This team was not as airtight defensively as they were last season. There are things that you can look at tactically, you can look at the refusal to play young players or, or the hesitation to play young players. You can even look at a couple of incidents in the media that, that really embarrassed the organization. There, there are other reasons Absolutely. beyond what happened behind the scenes for this. And, and so I just think as the Flames look to impact change and as you realize how difficult it's going to be to impact change because of your contract situation and and the guys who are already signed up to be back, and quite frankly, their belief in the core that they still have, this was a way you could impact change. Uh, let's read a few texts. It's uh, Steinberg and West with you underway this hour of Flames Talk. This reads, I wonder if the conversations with the non-playing staff had a big role in the departure. And the answer to that question, I can tell you unequivocally, is yes. It did. Like that. I'm not going to name names, but there were also non-playing members of staff that said they were not interested in coming back and important non-playing members of the Calgary Flames. And so when you tack that on, and these are people that aren't making seven figures annually to do their jobs. And when you tack that on to what you're also hearing from players yeah, this investigation, I keep going back, and, and it, it sounds like we're burying Daryl Sutter, and as Wes has made very clear, like this failure of a season is not all about him. There are multiple facets as to why 
we're talking about round two of the playoffs and the Flames didn't get a sniff of round two because they didn't make it. But they, this was a situation where there was a common denominator that you could change and they went down that road and made the change. So to that texture's question, yeah, the non-playing staff absolutely played a large part in this decision. And let me just jump in on that for a second because th- these conversations weren't as simple as, Don. okay, Don Maloney phones Jonathan Huberto and says, well, what'd you think of the season? Okay, here's what Jonathan thought. On to the next guy. Nazem Kadri, what'd you think of the season? Certainly that was one of the questions, but it was also asking, okay, why do you think this didn't go right for this guy? Or, or why do you think we had an issue with this? Why was this a recurring theme? And, and so those non-playing staff that you're talking about, the equipment guys and the trainers especially, those guys that are around the team all the time, they have a really good handle of what's going on. Yep. And I have not been told this by anyone, but I can I can promise you their feedback on what was happening. Who's in the locker room the most? The equipment guys. Who's in the weight room the most? The strength and conditioning yep. coaches. Their feedback on what they were seeing, hearing, feeling, all that would have been really vital. Ding, ding. 100%. Uh, well said. This uh, from Mick. Um, going into the season, they'd come off a great regular season. Daryl had won the Jack Adams with an $8 million contract, and winning one round in Calgary uh, is success. So he took over. He was the captain and knew more about running an organization than the GM. I said it from day one. They should never have hired Daryl, but for 30 years, it's been quick fixes that don't work. That comes from Mick. This says, bottom line, Pat, they'll have a bounce back in the regular season, but when it counts in the playoffs, the Flames and the green coach they'll hire will not get past the first or second round in the next five years with this iteration. This from Matt. Guys, I feel bad for Daryl. He's a good guy. He's probably not good for the new generation. Mental health's a big thing now, and maybe his style doesn't fit with that. We shouldn't forget he's going to get paid to not work and spend time at his farm, which more than likely will make him happier. Uh, This from Gord. City of Calgary, its fans, and even you guys in the media deserve better than this mess that's unfolding. This is on the players' management and owners, no one else. Uh, This says Sutter does have a shelf life, and it was the right move, but every Flames coach has a two-year shelf life with this organization. There's no doubt about it. This group has gone through too many coaches. Way too many. And and that's perfectly, that is absolutely a fair commentary, and that's something that they need to address. And, And maybe... Do you want to read the one about uh, Bedner and John Cooper? And we can talk about that quick because the two. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, from Mick again. Yes, this one reads uh, John Cooper, Jared Bedner, J- Jay Woodcroft don't have short shelf lives. John Tortorella, yes, but the difference between Torts and Daryl is Torts is humble and people like him. So let's leave Woodcroft out of it because he's only been a coach for a year and a half. John Cooper and, and Jared Bedner have won. And so it's. Hard to talk about the shelf life with guys who are having a ton of success. You didn't hear a whole lot about Daryl Sutter's shelf life when the Flames were putting up one of their best seasons in franchise history. It wasn't last year. even in Los Angeles. The shelf life conversation didn't come until a couple years after right. they'd won their second. And cup. so, I, and I'm not criticizing Mick here, but I, I just wanted to tie these two conversations together because the lack of continuity in Calgary has a lot to do with chasing success and not finding it. Now there was the Bill Peters saga and and certainly that's something different. He's a 
a gentleman who's not a coach and that's not necessarily based on what his hockey team was doing there there are extenuating circumstances or whatever you want to call them different reasons that that change has been made but for the most part the coaching changes were were chasing success yeah and that i guess whatever you want to call it that ferris wheel of coaches is going to continue until the calgary flames find some success and they certainly hope it's with this next one. And I don't think any of these coaches were ever hired with the intention of, oh, we'll only be here for two years and then we'll hire a new coach. I really don't. Right. Organizations don't love paying a whole bunch of coaches at the same time. But damn it, it would be really good if whoever the new GM is hires a coach that could maybe be here for four or five years. Right. And maybe, maybe they're able to... It sure would be neat to... And I thought this year was going to be that year. But it sure would be neat to go into every season just being like, oh, yeah. You know, not worrying about your May vacation plans because you know the Flames will be playing. Right. And whether that means they're in round two or out late round, whatever. But, like, to fully expect them to be in the playoffs, like I did this year, was the first time I went into a season coming off a season that was good, being like, okay, yeah, I'm expecting for them to be back. Now, they failed and it didn't happen. I understand that. But... It sure would be nice if that became the norm for fans. Where you're right. just like, you're not you're not gritting your teeth and clenching in January and February about whether or not the team's going to make it or not. And making the playoffs becomes an expectation as opposed to an accomplishment. It'd be really nice. It would be a it would be a nice change in in these parts. Yeah, and that's how a coach gets shelf life. Just lead the team to the second or third round every year. John Cooper. Exactly. Jared Bednar. And, and this, you know, not to take us down this road, we're going to have lots of time to talk about who the next coach should be, but there was a time when nobody knew who John Cooper was. And there was a time when nobody knew who Jared Bednar was. There was a time when Jared Bednar almost got fired after one year in Colorado. Right. And there, you know, we talk about shelf life with Jay Woodcroft. And again, not to pick on Mick here. Please don't. That, Mick and I are finally on good terms. That was a, a team that had the don't same carousel of coaches. They hope that Jay Woodcroft is the one who gets them off their carousel. Yeah. And certainly with what he's done with that team, it looks like he could be there for a long time. But now the Flames have to find their guy who's going to get them off the Ferris wheel. Yeah. Uh, a few more. Uh, this from Zamboni in Panorama Hills. I know that's not your real name, but I still like the the moniker. Uh, great, hey, guys. great pick by your parents. If it was, yeah, that would be a good name. If and if if that is your real name, I apologize. Uh, so Sutter was not run out of the job because he made the culture bad. Well, isn't uh, everyone part of that culture? So what's their responsibility, or better yet, their part in creating a toxic culture? Daryl's gone, but who's left that can still sour the milk, per se? Maybe Elias was talking about these individuals as well. Um, And to that point, yes, as we said, was Sutter and the coaching situation a common denominator? Yes. Does that mean that it absolves anybody else from their responsibility? No. And it's why we keep saying... There's a lot now on the players. There's a lot now on their shoulders going into next year because, okay, this significant change was made and made in part because of what we heard from the 20 or so players that, that, or however many it was, 
Okay, now it's on you to go out and prove that this was the right decision and this common denominator was holding you back. I I might be overanalyzing this, but I think a big difference between Mackenzie Wieger telling the missing curfew pod we needed a coaching change and Mackenzie Wieger five or six days later telling our buddies in the morning that Daryl's a great coach and could get hired again if he wanted to is knowing the pressure that's on squarely on the players now Mm -hmm. because of the conversation of the past week. This is all like, okay, we listened to the players, but now we got to see it. And I can tell you exactly what we're going to be talking about on flames talk in September and October and November. This is all on the players. It's on Huberto. It's on Nazem Kadri. You can go up and down the list. Every guy who was on this team next year has to yep. help turn this thing around. Uh, a few more texts, 96960. JP says, plain and simple, anyone with the take the Flames cave to whiny players obviously have never held a leadership role before. A true leader sets the environment for the team and should be the one to adapt to different players' needs. This Good says, text. And I agree, JP. This says, uh, I knew it. Harvey the Hound got the coach fired. Now, Harvey was a problem this year. Um, this says, uh, from a Leafs fan, knowing your team's getting to the playoffs doesn't make it any less stressful. And finally from Brett in Calgary, I still have no idea what the heck happened with the team this season, but I do know that I agree with the texter who said that Daryl may be just too old school for some of these new generation players. That's not a jab at Daryl because he's among the best of the best, but I do think that finally naming a captain would really help things a lot. They need a leader. And they haven't had one since Geo left. No wonder they keep doing whatever it is that they're doing. Again, that's from Brett in Calgary. Oh, I saw a couple of people after listening to that Mackenzie Weger clip we played. Michael Backlund was going toe-to-toe with Daryl Sutter. Not the first guy that I would have thought would go toe-to-toe. Now, I had heard that, you know, Bax um, had been one of those guys that yeah. had been a little bit more at the forefront of of being a leader in that room and and standing up to Daryl. So when I heard Mackenzie say that, I thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense from what I heard. And uh, but it just it's hard to imagine a straight up fu match between the two guys. Yeah, I don't think that's going to make it on the so- the team social media feed. No, probably not. Yeah, we should circle back on the Leafs later though, because I heard they didn't they have the easiest road to the Stanley Cup final. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Now you're just inviting trolls. Uh, his name is Wes Gilbertson. He's on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Uh, Wes, Pat, this hour of Flamestock underway. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, it's been a uh, tough spring for Flames fans. It's been a, uh, been a turbulent last few weeks. GM, coach, both out. Flames are not in the playoffs. Got the Oilers in round two. Unfortunate. And then you've got Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers and what that team is doing and specifically what that guy is doing. Welcome back. Flames Talk continues. Pat and Wes on this Monday. 
the former sixth overall pick of the Flames, tied for second in playoff scoring with 15 points in 10 games. He has been electric for most of the playoffs. He scored some massive goals. He scored, you know, the the huge goal to keep Florida's season alive as they won three in a row against Boston. And he does it in his first year away from Calgary. And it, and I think if you're a Flames fan, I think the two words come to mind would be, yeah, th- this sucks. Like to, to see Matthew Kachuk doing this after a career year, he bettered his point total from last year at 109 this year. It's a stinger, and it makes you look back on that July trade uh, maybe a little bit differently than maybe you did in July. Um, the first thing I will say is the maybe the most frustrating part, if you're a Flames fan, is that he never did this in Calgary. This guy has been incredible in the playoffs. One of the stories of the 2023 postseason as Florida's a win away from getting to the Eastern Conference Final. And good on him. And Matthew Kachuk is probably the largest reason why Florida is up 3-0 on the Toronto Maple Leafs in round two right now. Not the only reason, but he's been a huge part of it. But he never did He might throw goalie Bob in there. Bobrovsky's been huge. Um, you know, they, they've but, had some big moments elsewhere. But it doesn't change your point. This is exactly what Flames fans hoped he could be in the Flaming Sea logo in the, in the playoffs. And it never happened. I even no. look back. I look back to last year. And after he kind of had that stretch where he scored a huge goal in game seven to tie it. And he also scored three in game one against Edmonton. But otherwise, the first six games against Dallas and the next four games against Edmonton, he was nowhere to be found. And, you know, granted, you go back to his rookie year, he was 18 or 19. And then two years later against Colorado, he was still a very young player. But at no point did the Flames ever have this from Matthew Kachuk in the playoffs. And I don't know if it was just an experience thing. Had had he been here, had the trade not happened, and they would have gone forward with Johnny and Matthew for this season, who knows? Maybe this year in the playoffs would have been that year. But his first year away from Calgary, he finally turns in to the playoff player that we've all wondered is is there and we've all thought could be that real difference maker in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned Johnny, and, and that that's a question that's going to linger in Calgary until the end of time is if, Johnny what was willing to stay if, if he signed that deal that they were so close to having his signature on, would that have changed for Matthew? And and yet I also wonder how much of what we're seeing from Matthew Kachuk this season and this spring is the fact that he wanted to be the guy in a city. He he really wanted to be the number one piece on a team. And I wonder if if that is, has sort of helped spark the performance that we've seen out of him in these playoffs. Because, it, you know, I I must have written five times the story. Oh, okay, here comes another playoff season. This is a guy who's built for the playoffs. And, yep. and it, it just never really materialized. You know, we, we all remember the draft stories about scoring the... Was it the game winner in the Memorial Cup on a high ankle yep. sprain? Yep. Like that. Yep. Even before he got to the NHL, this was going to be the kind of guy that you wanted in those huge games. He was going to be the guy who pulled through. And now I, I sit in my, you know, I, I sit in my basement at home watching these games, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly 
that's exactly what he was supposed to be in Calgary. What I'm watching is exactly what the Flames brass and what the Flames fan base thought Matthew could be in this break. Yep. And that's got to be frustrating for Brad Treliving at home to watch. It's got to be frustrating for Daryl Sutter at home to watch. You know, Craig Conroy, people still in the organization. It's got to be really frustrating to see what Matthew Kachuk is doing for the Florida Panthers. Well, and now seeing this, and very likely Matthew about to go deeper into the playoffs than he ever has. Um, and doesn't that even make it worse? Like Mark Giordano, you could not have asked for more in Calgary than Mark Giordano did for you. And if there's one guy that fans in Calgary, I think could really get behind winning something is Gio. Wouldn't it have to be? Yeah. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> I just, when the deal was made, I lo- I thought it was a, as as most of us did, we were like, holy, did they just pull off a blockbuster trade and maximized a guy who said he wasn't going to sign here long term? And the one thing I said was, Florida still is getting the most upside in this deal because they're getting the younger player who is signed max term for his entire prime. And so they're they're getting the best player in the deal. And that's not a knock on McKenzie or Jonathan, but 24-year-old Matthew Kachuk coming off 104 points signed to an 8-year deal that'll take him to the age of 32. Yeah, you're you're getting the best player in the deal. You just are due to age and everything that goes into it. But in a lot of ways, like I don't know if year one of this trade could have gone worse from a flame standpoint because Huberto struggled the way that he did. Matthew had 109 points in Florida and is now tearing the playoffs apart. Yeah, it, it's you know I, I guess it could have gone worse. Weger could have been worse, and Mackenzie really picked it up in the second half of the season. And your, and your point's a good one though. This this it is... was not a good year for year one of this trade. And I understand, I, I really fully do understand the apprehension of oof, the, uh, the, 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 the eight year deal hasn't even kicked in yet. You just, you need Huberto to be better next year. You to, <laughs> to, to help salvage this yeah. bad year one. You need Huberto to be so I, much better. I think year. it's perfectly fair on May the 8th. 2023 to sit here as you assess this trade and say right now it feels like there's two potential outcomes we can look back eight years from now and say okay that trade worked out quite well for both teams and that requires Jonathan Huberto not only bouncing back next season but being a, a really effective player for at least most of the lifespan of his contract so so if he does that and if Mackenzie Weger plays at a similar level that he did down the stretch and and maybe Cole Schwint turns into a guy who can be a dependable NHL. Like we can look back and and eventually say, you know what? That trade worked out really well for both teams. And again, sitting here on May 8th, 2023, the other option right now is we could look back eight years from now and say, geez, that was lopsided. Yep. And yet, 
the Flames didn't have a ton of choice in the matter, at least in in the Matthew Kachuk situation, because he told them he was not going to sign. And look, they could have made a different deal. Sure, there were other deals on the table. We know Carolina. There were a couple of other teams that had deals on the table as well. And I guess they could have signed him long term in 2019. Uh, and that that remains a real cautionary tale for me with some of their other players. Um, I just I think about Dylan Dubé and I think about and I'm not suggesting that Dubé is going to be a 109 point player in the league, but you know I just think that there is value in signing guys long term when you can. Um, but yes, uh, and what, otherwise the actual situation itself, they kind of were put in a tough spot. Would this be easier? Like, let's say you know we heard John Bean talk about how we had a rebuilding option on the table and i think that's the option that we believe was there with the carolina hurricanes that would be a young player and and some i believe it was natchez a first round pick and then there was haggling over the third part, part. Of the deal. okay and so would like i don't know that watching matthew kachuk star in the playoffs for another team that is on the brink of making it to the conference final i don't know that would be any easier if you took the rebuilding right. trade. If like, I, I idea, just yeah. think anytime a guy who had become a fan favorite, who, you know, others describe him as a unicorn, and it's a perfect way to put it, like, this guy's so unique, you're not getting another Matthew Kachuk anytime soon. And so I think to lose that type of player, no matter what the trade return ultimately looked like, and then to see him go elevate to the player that you thought he could be and to be doing it so soon and to be doing it in another city and constantly talking about how much he loves it there. And this is the best. And Oh my God, Florida, everyone needs to play in Florida. This is, this couldn't get any better. That that's always going to sting for the flames fan base. and, And it should quite frankly. Absolutely. I'll read you a few texts, 960, 960. Um, this says, uh, gents, you have to include Kadri when discussing the trade. Florida's first made him a flame. That's from Paul and Chestermere. Bang on. Um, that first round pick enabled them to move Monaghan to Montreal, which then opened the door for them to complete the Nazem Kadri deal. And so I absolutely think that Kadri and, and what he is with this team will always be, should always be connected to the Matthew Kachuk trade as well. So, um, go ahead. Sorry. So, add them to the list of guys that needs to be better in the Next future year. for it to look like a better trade. Hundred uh, percent. This says watching Kachuk with Calgary, it always looked like he was trying too hard and would get off his game. This year, he looks more relaxed and calm. I think it's a maturity thing. Absolutely. I think there's uh, a lot to that, and that's why I wonder. I it never happened with him in the playoffs in Calgary, but that doesn't mean I think it never would have happened because obviously it was there, and we're seeing it this postseason. Uh, Ryan writes, who cares about Kachuk? He didn't want to be here, wasn't going to stay here, and maybe he didn't give the effort considering he didn't have a long-term commitment to the team. Bennett hurts more because the Flames just screwed that situation up. Uh, This says Kachuk's also entering his prime here. I agree this sucks, but did they have a choice if he didn't want to stay long-term? So, 
And this says uh, it doesn't help that the other top pick the Flames uh, had recently is doing in the playoffs once again, doing what he does best in the playoffs. And that, of course, is talking about Sam Bennett, who's having himself a nice postseason as well. He's got uh, seven points in nine games after a second straight 40-point season with the Panthers. So, yes, that doesn't help either. And so mean to that young kid. He's going to, like, watch out at your cabin this summer, Sam, because the Leafs fans wanted you suspended, maybe banned from the league. Oof. Yeah, that whole uh, narrative on the Toronto Maple Wear your Maple Leafs hat to Skydome this summer. Is, uh, it's been extended. Uh, the, the conversation about the Leafs not being able to get it done. Oh. What were the chances this series would be three rip at this point? I did not see that coming. I, I, I was, you know, I, I was excited about the series because I thought it would be a long one. And if it was going to be a short one, I didn't think it would be short for this reason. Yep. And here we are. Wow. Uh, Pat and Wes wrapping up this hour. Thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers. This hour of Flames Talk coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Wet basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com.